Another one of our sponsors I'm excited to tell you about is actually another podcast. It's called People of Product. And it's really about kind of highlighting the way people come together in innovative ways and create all the digital products that seem to be in every part of our lives. And what I think I like the most is that these guys are speaking from experience. You know, we had George Brooks on our show. And besides that, he's like a really genuine human being, just super knowledgeable at creating way more effective teams to get this kind of stuff done. And I really can't recommend it enough. You can find them anywhere that you get your podcasts and I recommend you checking out People of Product. So longtime listeners of the show will probably remember Jay Davis, who's been on a number of times. Well, in addition to being a friend and a consulting client, I'm excited to say now that he's also a sponsor of this show. Last year, when I was spending a lot of time at his company's office, he started a new company called PillowCube, which is this awesome memory foam rectangle pillow. That's tall enough for me to be a side sleeper, but not have to have my head sag down like when I try to fold over my regular pillows. It's really pretty amazing, and for any side sleepers like me, it's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to pillowcube.com and getting one for yourself. And the magazines don't even like physically exist anymore. It's all you know, all digital. But I never in a million years, when I worked at Transworld, the idea of if you said to someone like, "Hey, Snowboarder Magazine and, and Transworld will be a, the same company," it was literally like would have been like oh, I, over my dead body. Like they were, they were, they were the enemy. Like and they were the enemy. Not like we hate them, but it was this this real belief that our point of view. And the manner in which we were curating the content, the story that we were telling was the more righteous end. And so, Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got Sal Masekela. He's done so many different things. I think the best way to introduce him is just to read his little bio right off his foundation, stoked.org, which you should all go visit. It says, Sal is a beloved journalist, musician, and producer best known for his work presenting NBC's Red Bull Signature Series, ESPN's Summer and Winter X Games, which he hosted for 13 years, his cultural reporting in South Africa during 2010 FIFA World Cup, corresponding with Emmy Award-winning investigative series Vice on HBO, hosting E's Daily 10. Sal's creativity and mastery of storytelling extends beyond the camera to his production company, UX Entertainment, specializing in film commercials and music videos. Sal also serves on the board of the Tony Hawk Foundation. And if you read his Wikipedia, there's a whole bunch of other things there. But did I miss any of the major points, Sal? The only other major point is that I also enjoy an alter ego as a musician. I make music under the banner Alakazam, which is my last name, Masakela, backwards, is Alakazam. I love it. Well, and I I feel like this really missed out saying that you were in a $130 million movie with uh, Point Break in 2015. (laughs) Glaring. It's a glaring misstep. Here. Yeah, there's a glaring misstep um, there between that and 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 Surfs Up, Oscar nominated, Surfs Up, the Sony animation, right? With Jeff Bridges and Shia LaBeouf, 
yeah, it's 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 a trip when you even list all those things that were on there. That I'm, I'm always like, wow, that all that stuff happened. So and it's funny that you bring up that you that you brought up um, Point Break because we got paid to pretend that we were in Tahiti in the south of Italy on a yacht in a town called Brindisi for five of the best days of my life. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you know, I grew up snowboarder, skateboarder in Western Canada. Ended up moving to Southern California to surf. And so, you know, me and all my friends watched you for however many years on X Games, and that's all our familiarity with you. But as I was getting ready for this show, I was so interested to learn everything that your dad has accomplished and just the working against apartheid and, you know, number one, 1968, number one <laughs> top of the chart song as a jazz musician. What, a, what an amazing contribution your dad's made to this world as well. Yeah, my, my, my father was really the, the footsteps for, for what my existence is today was definitely forged by my father because he just didn't have any he didn't have any box. He was ultra curious. And so he, he, he would he never let any sort of perceived limitations get in the way of his passions and his curiosity. You know, you mentioned him him being an activist for when it came to the apartheid regime. My, my father was a political exile for 30 years from South Africa and came to the States as a very young man at 19, basically fleeing South Africa for his life because of uh, what was going on politically and his safety. And, you know, he, he never took citizenship in, on in any other continent. He he, he just worked tirelessly in, with this belief that one day apartheid would end and that he would get to go back home. And in the meantime, he would explore and make music and, and, and really figure out ways to commute to to communicate Africa, specifically South Africa, to the rest of the world to help raise uh, awareness and make other people curious about this magical place that he was from through his storytelling and his music. I love it. Well, we should for, for sure talk more about him today. I think where I want to start is, you know, again, being kind of a, you know, my whole self-identity growing up has less to do with my last 20 years in finance and entrepreneurship and a lot more with my my misspent youth, you know, snowboarding and skateboarding, right? Talk to us about Stoked and where the idea came from and, and what people could do to be helpful these days. Well, firstly, I would say that your youth was not misspent. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, you know, snowboarding and, and, and recklessly chasing that feeling builds so much in us as human beings. Like uh, there's just, an, an, uh, to me, there's just an incredible amount of value in putting yourself in critical situations in, in, in the search of, of, of joy and having to respect the mountain and build a relationship with fear, etc. That I think helps you to, to, to navigate the, I guess, what we could call was the real world before this situation that we were in. <laughs> and the, the the forming of Stoked really came about, I started snowboarding and surfing, I started skating at 14, surfing at 16, and, and snowboarding at 17. And those three sports really, they, they changed my life to the point where... I changed my direction in, in, in what I wanted to do, which was much more driven towards the arts because of my background. And I, may, and I grew up playing music to trying to figure out how to be as close as possible to action sports and some chance happenings that put me within sort of the epicenter of the industry in Southern California and in San Diego, where I got a job at a magazine called Transworld Snowboarding and Skateboarding Magazine sort of helped lead me into my career. And because of where the sports were, you know, I, I ended up in this really great explosive time when it came to the media and found myself in this position where I got to become a broadcaster, et cetera, et cetera. 
And at, in, in the mid 2000s, you know, after my start at X Games in, in 1999, I had a pretty rocket ship career. You know, the, 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 it, it just really happened quick. I started off as just a sideline reporter for snowboarding. And then next thing you know, I was doing play by play. And then a couple of years later, they made me the, the overall host, the Bob Costas, if you will, of uh, both the winter and summer X Games. And suddenly I had this, this massive television career and a fan base, et cetera, things that I never would have imagined. And what was really interesting is that I was sort of the captaining the ship of, of the storytelling of this culture, but there was really no one else that looked like me at the X Games as a participant and even for the most part as fans. I was one of the lone people of color. And people started asking me in interviews why that was the case. And it was an interesting thing to me because I'd, I'd, I'd never talked about it before and never talked about how opportunity to participate in, a, in this lifestyle, for the most part, is afforded to people who, who have privilege. And if you're a kid growing up in the inner city, the idea of being able to make surfing a lifestyle or snowboarding a lifestyle isn't really feasible because you're not getting that opportunity to be exposed to the culture. And so I think a lot of times people perceived the sports as quote unquote being white. And I would always say that they're not white sports. They're just sports that happen to favor people who live in stronger economic situations close to these places where they can recreate. And most of those people happen to be white. And that's where the, the idea from Stokes was really born with my partner, Steve LaRoselier, who, I'm, who I met from New York City, who's Haitian like me, I'm half Haitian, and had this passion for snowboarding, but also was into mentorship. And we started talking about the principles of action sports and this idea of like falling down and getting back up, having to negotiate fear, having to make yourself feel face, uh, safe in a, in a challenging environment building a relationship and connection with people who are sharing in the same type of goal and leaning on each other to, to learn and to, to get out of, of, you know, and navigate critical situations. And it just felt like a great way to be able to give kids who had all of the potential, but didn't have the opportunity, a chance at growth as human beings through experiencing these sports. And that's how we started Stoked was just this idea of giving kids who no, wouldn't normally have access to it, a, experiences within this lifestyle that wouldn't just like help them learn a new sport, but more importantly, help them grow into, into, into better human beings and, and, and give them the idea that they could really operate in any spaces and places that they wanted to at a high level with, in whatever way their dreams lent them towards outside of just what they're told they're allowed to be because of their socioeconomic conditions. And we started that 15 years ago. And it's just been an, an amazing run. We're, we're based in uh, Los Angeles, New York, and uh, Chicago. I love it. You know, so if somebody wanted to get involved, you know, I'm on the I'm on stoke.org. And I'm seeing there's donations, becoming a mentor, finding business partnerships, what what's, what's an example of somebody something somebody could do if they wanted to support that? I mean, it, it, it really runs across the board. Back when we were allowed to engage with, with each other physically, it, a lot of it was exposing our kids to what different careers look like. A lot of times, I think people forget that like the, the difference in having a parent or a, or a friend of a friend of, within your family or your, or your circle that has access to a job or, or a, a an intern program, et cetera, what that does for you for the rest of your career. And for a lot of our kids, 
that's obviously not access they have. So creating opportunities for internships, creating opportunities when working with different brands where they just expose our kids to, to what the landscape of an industry or career looks like, which makes such a huge difference, you know? And so we've, we've done that in all different ways with, from finance to creativity and fashion, et cetera. We've worked with all different types of brands that way. That's, that's one way. Obviously mentorship is, is huge where we have people who sign on to, to work uh, in partnership with our kids. Yeah. So what does that look like? I've got a bunch of, you know, I've got a bunch of buddies that grew up doing these things. Mm. It looks like, you know, going surfing with, with, with the kids, snowboarding with them, skateboarding with them, spending time over the course of a day, learning how to these sports together in a way where that mentorship is kind of ends up being in both directions because neither person's an expert Yeah, and, and really building relationship and trust in that way and both being invested in these, in these activities together. So if they, um, if they come to the site here, they fill out the application and become a mentor. Typically, I know things are crazy with COVID, but typically is that arranged where they just show up at the place and the kids show up at the place? Or what does that logistically look like? It really depends, but it, it, it's usually like what we do with our snowboarding mentorship program. It's seven weeks. So we, we have, a, you know, a, a bus and meals and volunteers and like everybody loads up on the, on the bus and goes up to the mountain together. And it's, it's, there's a full programming where it, it, it's, a, it's a big organized group activity. And it's someone being able to commit and say like, okay, these, these seven weekends, I'm here. I'm going to, I'm going to show up uh, and be a part of this thing with my mentee, as well as doing work with them as far as like after school programs, et cetera, and, and really building a, a, a connective bond so that the, the mentee can feel like they have someone to be able to go to, to bounce ideas off of, get advice, et cetera. We, we also do a lot of brand building with our kids where we teach them how to, how to, how to, how to brand build. So that's 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 another way that will the mentee the mentors will work with with the mentees in those various type of projects. You know, I I would love to go further on this. When you think about how many you know how many kids love this industry, love this, love these sports, would love to make a career of it, and and so few of us ever did. I would be interested in insights you have about specifically action sports media. You know, if if people are not on the inside, what's what's like a uh, what's a principle or what's something that you would tell somebody, you know, if they're wanting to get into the action sports side of media, maybe as an entrepreneur, maybe they have some means they can get some startup capital together or something like what's a rookie mistake you see when people are trying to get into the media side of action sports? Oh, man, a rookie mistake that I see is that everybody wants to be a part of the thing because it, it, it is fun. Like it obviously looks fun, but I, I see a lot of people that come into this without a point of view. Mm. And it's, it's a very sort of homogenous, almost incest, incestual type industry where for the most part, everyone's kind of doing the same thing mm-hmm. and kind of speaking at the same vibe. And I, I always tell people like, if you really want to get involved in this business, especially from a media standpoint, don't be afraid to have a point of view. It, it's going to differentiate you from everyone else. And it's really going to give you, I believe, you give the opportunity for, for, for your viewers to actually like want to consume your content. Outside, like you give them a reason to come and, and to spend time with, with, your, with your content as opposed to just like, hey, like this is rad. We were at this thing and check it out, you know? Mm-hmm. 
there's that's and I think it's something that still la- is lacking. People are afraid to put themselves out there within our industry. So to me, like it's it's ripe for opportunity when it comes to like like just yeah having figuring out what your point of view is. What what side of the story is not being told? You know, uh, that's so interesting. I think about you know you getting on at Transworld. We you know us farm kids in Canada. We thought Transworld was the coolest thing ever, right? And you probably helped some of the episodes we were reading. But you look, I mean, didn't Transworld Snowboarding get folded into Snowboarder now? Is that what recently happened? Am I remembering uh, that correctly? Yeah. That they all became one company at a certain point. And the magazines don't even like physically exist anymore. It's all, you know, all digital. But I never in a million years, when I worked at Transworld, the idea of if you said to someone like, hey, Snowboarder Magazine and, and Transworld will be the same company, it was literally <laughs> like, would have been Heresy. like, oh, over my dead body like they were yeah they were they were the enemy like and they were the enemy not like we hate them but it was this this real belief that our point of view and the manner in which we were curating the content and the story that we were telling was the more righteous end and so both magazines challenged each other to be better and that's what was so rad about being a part of of the industry at that time and, you know, when, when, when the two of them got, ended up at the same publishing company, everyone was just like, oh, well, there goes the neighborhood. Like, right. you know, it, it's and it, and it really showed in the in in the content and the bend and point of view. I mean, that's always there's the reason why Thrasher magazine from a skateboarding standpoint mm-hmm. has always continued to excel no matter whatever whatever ebbs of flows ebbs, ebbs and flows in in pop culture popularity of skateboarding thrasher has always maintained <laughs> yeah. its its place and that's because thrasher is unabashedly the voice of skateboarding and that's the raw dirty not so corporate clean per- perfect whatever you'd like to call it a sanitized yeah. version of, of how people would like to look at skateboarding and that's why thrasher continues to thrive to this day in the same way that it did you know in the 80s and it, it's funny because i think Transworld was was a bigger magazine on the skateboarding side than thrasher mm-hmm. during the height of the 90s mm-hmm. and but thrasher never tried to chase and yeah they kept doing their thing didn't they always did always did their own thing and it it paid off for them because they're they're having the last laugh they are the they are they are they're they're having the last laugh to the point where like all the influencer cool kid supermodels what have you like wear thrasher skate thrasher t-shirts and and gear just in the in the hopes of like appearing cool yeah no one ever would have thought would have been the case years ago right well okay maybe i can get some free consulting from you so I think about our business, you know, we do Greystoke Media here because we're trying to get, you know, basically invent our own media so we can give ourselves free advertising for our real estate investment fund. We're buying like boring, reliable apartment buildings, right? Mm -hmm. And the whole idea, because we started this charity 10 years ago called Child Rescue that combats child sex trafficking. And it's been like the most rewarding thing in my life, but I basically decided I hate raising donations. So I'm like, we just need to build a way bigger business so we can just pay for this ourselves, right? Right. So I'm always thinking, okay, how can we get way more attention for new shows at Greystoke Media? And, you know, being an action sports kid, I'm like, well, look at the success of Red Bull, right? Look at X Games. Like, there's something there that gets attention. But to your point, like, you know, if you show up and try to be those guys, you're just going to be like the annoying little brother, right? So, So to your point of the point of view, one of the thoughts that I had is I look at specifically snowboarding and, and to a lesser, in, in other ways, to some of the other, um, action sports related, but 
you know, it was really well-timed for me as a 13 year old, for me as a 15 year old, like that, the whole industry, everything spoke to me so well. Right. But I look at my buddies who are now late thirties, mid forties, who've got kids that were teaching a snowboard. And there really isn't anything for like <laughs> the more family friendly version. And yet I look at Brian Aguchi and these people who are like really good dads. And I've been thinking, what if we made one that was like family of action? That was like, what about, what about the pros 20 years later and their family? And like, what about like when I do want to take my 12 year old in the backcountry and like avalanche testing and like, how do you, how do you make that decision as a dad? And, and kind of like those nineties pros 20 years later and kind of like the rest of us families who love it, but we're no longer like lighting thing on lighting things on fire as a 15 year old. You are spot on. And in this case, preaching to the choir, I've been having the conversation where I'm like, why isn't anyone trying to build platforms that really cater to the longevity of this culture as a lifestyle? Because all those people of, of 90s, early 2000s who essentially took pride in saying, F you, I'm doing this thing, are all people who now like are have jobs and <laughs> are CEOs. Yeah, right. And they don't say... They might say F you, but in a different, in a far different manner than they used to. <laughs> and they got kids and they want to continue to do the things that made them who they are today for the rest of their lives. But they don't want to necessarily look, they don't necessarily look the way they did before or express themselves in the same manner. And I think, especially when I look at it generationally, yeah, this idea of being able to communicate what it looks like to thrive in multi-generationally as a family is when these things, when these sports were born, the only people who did them were kids, like, and not even kids, kids, like teenagers, mm -hmm. like you were, you didn't go pro until you were 16, 17, even 18, really, that you get recognized or your early 20s, you could still blow up in your early 20s because the sports were so new. And like people who, who were starting them started them in their mid teens. Now, like you, you know, like you mentioned, like I, I'm, I'm on Instagram and I'm watching like three year olds who are like skateboarding phenoms and like they're out there skating with their parents and same thing with, with, with snowboarding. There's this really great snowboarder that I, that I follow Marco Grillick. He, his whole Instagram is about his family, him, his wife and his two daughters snowboarding. And they probably have 170,000 followers or something because people are just mesmerized at this family that lives this lifestyle. But outside of like the gram, there are really no platforms that have figured out, how to like tell that bigger story. I think, and I think there's a, a massive opportunity in it. Well, you know, I think this is a good part to, good part to stop for, for part one of the interview, but I want to continue this conversation on part two, maybe to close off part one here, a question I really liked asking different guests is what's a, what's a piece of advice you would give back and give a younger version of yourself? Hmm. The piece of advice that I would give the younger version of myself is you will never have it all figured out and that's okay. Mm. I think especially as young men in this country, in our society, we are, we're, we're brought up as, as, as dudes, especially to, to like have it figured out by like X amount of age, let's say 24, 25, and be looking to have achieved these certain milestones in our lives by these years that are sort of a check mark and if you haven't achieved these things at this time something's wrong with you and time's running out and it took me a long time 
to to stop looking at what everyone else was doing and put pressure on myself and 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 admit that like oh i don't have to do it the way anyone else is doing it and i'm never going to have it all figured out and if i'm doing it right i'm going to be continue to learn and grow and pivot for the entirety of my existence on this planet and that took me out of like the mindset of like chasing security and put me way more into the mindset of like chasing feeling good like about my life and and who i am in in other words like i have more value now in in who i am as opposed to what i do before there, i went through a period where <laughs> what i did was the was the bigger story of informing who i was and i i would say that i lost the plot and and now it, I, I strive every day to sort of live in the reverse. Man, and that's such yeah, good so that, advice for all of us. That would be that would be my advice. I love it. That's a great one. Well, listen, everybody, please tune in for part two. We're going to be going further with this stuff. Thanks so much.